Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. That is the proclamation of the faith of our heart. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, selfishness, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkadi into your divine arms, and we ask you, continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated in a small announcement. This Friday, we are going to have the wonderful opportunity to listen to a video of, from our pastor to us. On Monday this week, our pastor had talked about God's predestination for those who have been created in Christ, and he will again show us the importance of what evil and good and good works are and under what conditions the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from dead works. This will be on Friday. The place of Holy Scripture, I will read a letter to the Ephesian Church, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. And so, the right to set aside our former way of life for one goal, in order to be clothed into a new way of life. And the word that I have been given to present to you today is taken from the series of sermons of Apostle Brother Arkadi, which is a product of his life. This highlights for us that word that God opened to him and he has passed along to us. Now, our relationship to this word is important. It's important how we hear it. It's important how we act toward it. Personally also to the person who speaks this word, this plays a big role. And this word for many years is like a command or a call. And it will be heard by those who have prepared their heart to hearing the word, who desire to hear this word, and who has the desire to look into this word that has been heard. You know, when I heard that the notes of pastor are called to be called the labors of his life or uh, receive 
receival of the revelations of God, when Pastor Daniel said this, then I remembered in my time, in my youth, I was very interested in reading and the collection of books. And one of my goals for gaining books, I really uh, wanted to gain a book that was from 1921 that was released in St. Peter's book, who the author of which was Frederick William, The Labors of the Holy Apostle Paul. In the Soviet Union, uh, it was not... This to me was a goal to achieve it, and it was a very expensive book, and I couldn't, I couldn't receive it. And years had passed. When I heard the words of Pastor Daniel, then I heard them as a definition, as a statement of the spiritual labors of our pastor, Brother Arkady, that these aren't just the notes that we, uh, that we take up that change us, that they, they change us, they uncover for us the future, and they show who we are in fact. It's not just that, but they also want for God to transform us and what He has predefined us for and so that we can see this. And at that very service, I remember searching for this particular book and I thought, and a thought came up, you have long ago been immersed into the labors of your Apostle Father and Pastor Brother Arkady, and today I'm going to immerse with you in these labors and studying these commandments that include three fateful commands and verbs. These are to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. And despite the sequence of these verbs, it doesn't talk about what means are ne- and what methods are necessary in order to set aside the former way of life. How do we be renewed in the speed of our mind? And finally, how do we begin this process of clothing ourselves, not someone, but clothing ourselves into the new man? And answering these three faithful questions will determine if we will turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect our salvation that has been given to us in the format of a deposit or will we simply lose it once and for all because of which our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life although at one time they were written there in a certain format we have looked at the first two questions and have stopped to study the next question what conditions what conditions are necessary to fulfill so that through our renewed thinking we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers, or rather, into the rights of our new man, created by God in Christ Jesus, in righteousness and holiness of truth. And we have also noted that the new man that it is necessary for us to be clothed into is our inner, or again, our innermost man that has been born from the imperishable seed of the Word of God, which by nature which is very interesting, which by nature is righteous, holy, imperishable, and immortal, because of which, although temporarily it is found in the perishable body, it dwells in the fourth dimension of the invisible and eternal realm. Thus, our new man carries the dimension of eternity, but in time. We perhaps live in this world in a physical body, 
but in time it turns out that we can be found in the dimension of eternity this means that the new man has a certain state of eternity although he lives in the body and therefore it is independent of time and it rules over time because it looks at the invisible lives by the invisible and strives toward the invisible because of this calls the inexistent inheritance of Christ as existent. We know what happened with Abraham. Apostle Paul writes, By faith, Abraham had submit to the calling to go into the city, and he went, not going where he was going. By faith, he dwelled in the promised land, and he lived in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of the very same promise, for he waited for the city that has a foundation, whose builder and maker is God. And now we see that it turns out that this happens with us. We proclaim with our lips the treasure of the faith that is written on the tablets of our heart. And the subject of an inheritance that is imperishable. And the right to set us to be clothed in the powers of our new man is the right to rule over time, as Abraham had done. He did not he was not dependent on that time that he looked at and saw in the mirror. If we look at ourselves in the mirror and we see the image of the physical image, and sometimes we are brought to dismay. This is not the mirror that we are called to look upon. In this right is tied to the decision of a person at what time and according to what truths we should clothe ourselves into the new man in ecclesiastes chapter 8 verses 5 through 7 says he who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful a wise man's heart or he who fulfills the covenant commandment has a wise heart and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment because for every matter there is time and judgment though the misery of man increases greatly for he does not know what will happen so who can tell him when it will occur pastor noted that a great it, it is great evil to man because he had rejected that person whom God had sent who could tell him about this who could explain to him the commandment and the statute to this commandment. The statute to the commandment is always an extended explanation of how and in what manner and how we ought to fulfill it. Because the commandment could sound dry like a law, but the statute itself tells us how, for what, just like those four questions that we hear, the purpose, the price, what result will be when we pay this price? You see, to us is presented that inventory that is purchased on the in internet, it is passed around because it doesn't shine as well as it did before on the screen. But when a person ends up at the store, he asks many questions to both himself and he decides, shall I buy it, shall I not? We are presented that which is necessary for us. According to this and other places of scripture, that without ruling over time expressed in the knowledge of what will happen, it will be impossible to be clothed in garments of righteousness to fulfill the perfect justice of our Heavenly Father. 
And when examining the nature of the new man, we decided to look at the process of being clothed in the power of the new man from seven different angles and seven virtues, although many more exist. First, a new man is clothed in the garments of salvation. It is a man dressed in clothes of justice. It is a man crowned with the crown of the bridegroom. It is a man decorated with the ornaments of a bride. It is a man dressed in a wedding garment. It is a man dressed in fine linen, clean and bright. It is a man who accepted a representative force of Yahweh of hosts. And when studying these virtues, we highlighted that all of these virtues are found in one another. They find themselves in one another. They come from one another, support one another, and serve to ratify the truth of one another. And in the book of Isaiah, we had discovered four virtues that walk one after the other. And so this is chapter 61, verses 10 through 11. With joy I will rejoice in the Lord, for my heart shall be glad, for he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. This is the first virtue. I was dressed in clothes of justice. This is the second one. As a man crowned with the crown of the bridegroom. This is the third virtue. And as a bride decorated with ornaments. This is the fourth virtue. For as the garden brings forth what is sown in it, so the Lord will demonstrate righteousness and glory before all the people. Joy in the Lord is one of the characteristics and components of the fruit of the Spirit, which is called to yield the kingdom of heaven in the good heart of a person. And this kind of fruit of joy in the heart of a person is the result of the harvest. I think you are aware this is not new to you, that the goal of any kind of sowing or the goal of any farmer or whoever is involved with with this, it is directed at one thing, at the fruit. And when people purchase either the seed or something else, they always look at, is it going to offer fruit? Everyone wants to see the result without having planted it yet. But God... And, but God does the same with us. He offers all, all the opportunity to hear, all the opportunity to accept the seed, all the opportunity to grow, and all the opportunity to offer fruit. What kind of fruit? We are going to read about this further. And the most interesting is that it tells us about the fact that God is based on the fruit and He collaborates with us only through the fruit that we have offered. Therefore, when it is sown, it is sown in tears, and as it is written, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalms 126, verses 5 through 6. There exists a big difference between the seed of the kingdom of heaven that is sown in tears and the result of this. Result is fruit that is expressed in the tree of life, which has grown from this seed, and it is the great power and great joy. And therefore, being clothed, there are two two words. To be clothed or to be uncovered. To be clothed and to be covered. To be uncovered means to be discovered. And to be clothed means to be surrounded by something, to be filled with something, and to fill ourselves with something. And therefore, being clothed into the new man, 
as the fruit of this person, is being clothed in the fruit of the Spirit brought by us to God, by the resurrection of Christ. Again, through the fruit of the Spirit that we have offered to God, which is called to yield in our heart the power and order of the kingdom of heaven in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In a certain format, we have already examined the core that is in the garments of salvation have stopped to examine the robes of righteousness, specifically the size of the price that is necessary to pay for the right to be clothed in a robe of righteousness. Again, they clothed us in the power of the resurrection of Christ. I was met with this word having been a young man. When I began to attend church, then one person had come up also in a suit and a tie, like all of the Christian brothers back back then. And they told me, you know what this is? I say, no. They say, this is power. Say, what kind of power? Well, according to the works, religion. They thought that this was their power. And then I had begun to ponder upon this word. And then here I see this word here. We are clothed or empowered to be... Empowered is the official right. What kind of right? To be the executor of the judgments of God. With regard to this, we have already looked at six condition. I've stopped to study the seventh price or condition. This is going to be the price. It's interesting that when we have a question, and then at the end, the question is asked, well, what kind of price is it for this uh, object? And the price for the right to be clothed in a robe of righteousness is being clothed in the redemption that is due to being observant to the Lord's Pesach according to the statute established by God. Let's read that place of scripture written in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Notice here that this is referring to two teachings right away, the blood of Christ and the teaching of the cross of Christ. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. We have noted that the main essence of worthy partaking of Pesach is comprised of the knowledge through instruction in faith and the our collaboration with the truth containing the truth of the blood of Christ and then the truth of the cross of Christ, revealing for us a path to inheritance of the blood of Christ that is kept in Christ Jesus for us. I have paid attention through instruction and faith to these particular words. I had worked at this one place before and there were five people from one service. And I thought inside, I really wanted to talk to them 
and to ask them some questions. But I didn't ask them, and I asked them a question. What is justification? What is forgiveness? And I had asked very many interesting questions to them, which we don't have any questions about. And I paid attention not to how they answered, but the fact that they did not have a single opinion of people, members of the church, of their particular service. Let it be unfaithful, but it would be one. But all of them had a different opinion. Acts 12.52 I noticed for myself that to be instructed is a privilege. Acts 15.32 Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Who do they strengthen? Not the unbelievers, not the evangelists, but they exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. It turns out that they had something that was able to be instructed. Acts chapter 8, we meet with the following events. Now Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. There was a man who was an Ethiopian, eunuch, He had read the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot that this man was on. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Pay attention here to the answer, who he was, who that man was. And he responds, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And for not long after, God had opened to him through the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah. He had accepted the Son of God and accepted baptism, made a covenant with God. And instruction, instruction, this edification, this pointing to the correct path, this counsel, this advice, this guide, this lesson, and also this teaching that was passed on. And teaching is instruction. And if a person, through instruction in faith, again, he must be instructed, if he has not taught these two fundamental truths, which are the root system of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, then he will not have any opportunity to worthy partake in the supper of the Lord. We have arrived to the conclusion that each detail of the Pesach celebration points to final freedom from the bondage of sin and death while living in the body. And in the future, on final freedom from the fading or the decaying body and deadly soul, which thanks to worthy partaking of the Pesach lamb will be clothed in immortality and imperishability. In the Pesach statute, and as we remember, a statute is an explanation of the requirements and commentary to the commandment. Again, a requirement. This is a requirement of the statute in the worthy partaking of the Lamb. It was comprised of the requirement 
of taking upon certain kinds of clothing that carry the readiness to fulfill God's justice and certain kinds of conditions necessary for worthy partaking of the Pasic lamb. Non-compliance to these conditions in any of their aspects did not free man from execution of the sentence of death for the retribution for sin is death was the decree. And on the other end, compliance to the statutes regarding to the Pesach in the worthy partaking of the Pesach slam abolished the death sentence and made a person a partaker of God's judgment over the firstborn of Egypt. And here we are going to read who these firstborn of Egypt are. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the Lord shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Pay attention to the fact that when the Lord says something, and then when He places His seal and He says, I am the Lord, or rather, I am the Master who has spoken these, I will conduct this judgment over all the gods of Egypt. I will conduct this judgment. I am the Lord. This means that if I do not do this, that then I am not the Lord. This means that when we in Scripture are met with these words, that we must understand that this is that oath which the Lord Himself had sworn. And this means that He 100% will hold on to His word when it seems to mankind that this is not so, but this is so. He does not throw his words out to the wind, and if a person ignores any kind of decree of God represented by his representatives on this earth, then in doing so he says, this kind of a person has a work not with the one whom he has ignored, but directly with God. And then God becomes a judge for this kind of a person. To argue with a priest is just unhealthy. If a person is incapable of listening to the priest, then it's best not to go to this kind of appointment. Because many things... It might, we might think that we know more or understand or know differently, but this is a mistake because we must understand that we're not coming to an ordinary person. According to these regulations, we note that the firstborn of Egypt that Egypt so heavily relied on were the gods of Egypt. And who or what we are dependent on defines our deities, our trust, and our worship. The firstborn of Egypt represented an image of the soul of a man who declined to lose his soul in the death of the Lord Jesus so that he could die to his nation, his household, and his personal carnal desires and preferences that went against the desires of God. 
And so, if we do not fulfill God's justice by condemning our soul to death in the worthy practice of the Lord's Pesach, and as we heard, our soul is found in our nation, our household, our, what we think, correct desires or correct motives, not even recognizing that all of this resists the desires and the definitions of God. And then when we partake in communion, and we think that we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven like a drive-through, but this is far from the case. And therefore, we must condemn our soul, not just to condemn it, but we must condemn it to death. In the worthy partaking of the Pesach of the Lord, according to the statute that has been established by God. Otherwise, we will never be able to be a part of the descendants of Abraham's faith, who has been made the father of all believers. And therefore, we will never be able to be clothed in the robe of righteousness in the face of our new and innermost man. Abraham, who was set by God as a standard of faith, accepted the promise of God in the seed, just like we, the seed of the preached word. And he began calling the inexistent as existent. But for this, he had to do all things as, that God would tell him. And in this manner he grew this seed into the fruit of joy in the face of the one whom he bore, Isaac. We know that the name Isaac means joy, laughter. Therefore, when we proclaim the inexistent as existent, we have tears and not joy. Just like was with Abraham when we, he saw with his physical eyes that everything passed, but he was not based on his own personal conclusions of his mind. Same thing with us. Devil screams in our ears, how many years have passed and nothing is happening, nothing is changing. He says, well, we know that we need to turn our eyes to our father according to the faith, Abraham, how he behaved when he was found in a, such a position. Imagine that if Abraham would have written a book about his life, what he felt, his, this would be exactly the same that we are enduring. It would not be different in any way. We must know that God is vigilant over his word and it is going to be fulfilled in its time. Exactly. And this was the foundation of the faith of Abraham. As Job had endured, he was dependent on this word. His spouse had told him, his soul had told him, you should go against, you should go against God. He said, I know, knowledge comes from the information, information comes from the seed. We must pay a price for this knowledge. We don't have free, not, we don't obtain free knowledge. We must be faithful in our dedication. And for the imperishable inheritance of Pasik that contains partaking to the heritage of God and the righteousness of God and for them to become our inheritance, Scripture imputed to us 10 conditions necessary or 10 conditions that we need to dwell in. This is first, to separate the Pasik lamb. Second, to remove all leaven from our homes to sprinkle the blood of the Pesach lamb over the beams and doorpost, to bake the whole Pesach lamb over fire, to gird yourself with a belt, 
to put shoes on your feet, to contain a staff in your hand, to eat the whole lamb, to eat the Pasic lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and to eat the Pasic lamb in haste. We will turn to the tenth condition. This is the need to eat the Pasic lamb in haste. And thus you shall eat it with the belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Exodus 12, verse 11. The element of haste when eating of the Pasik was an important element, and it is mentioned in Scripture as an unchanging law. It is this element that was used in the Exodus out of Egypt, and this particular element could serve as a sign of circumcision of our heart and our ear. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. There will be a, a remembrance on the tablets of our heart. And this is not going to be easy. This is a difficult period in our life. This is the very difficult day and the refusal of all of that to where we lived, what we had used, what we had valued, what we had loved. In the subject of our nation, our household, nationality. It's not easy to die to our nation, household, the wife of our spouse or the mother of our spouse, brother, sister, or children. For children, this is not easy. I remember I was sitting at the table with my father, and we had talked about the spiritual father. He had not uh, understood this, and I said, in life there exist two lives. Two, the first one, the first father, he gives birth, he gives education, 30, 50, 70, and then he is buried spiritual father says a word for 15 minutes a person accepts Christ as his favor savior and then transforms and so who has done more he's we were silent I said that one who spoke for 15 minutes he looked at me and said you just spit in my face and he started crying I was very painful for me he was not ready to listen to my explanation there was a certain time necessary for us to return back to this question. And in one moment, at one point, he answered and said to me, You know, when you had said this, I understood that you were right, but I couldn't agree with you. I didn't have a right to do this. Remember, it says in Scripture, I do not look upon my mother and my father, and I do not know my brothers, and I do not know my sons, for they are Levites. They keep your covenant and your law. This is a price for the kingdom of heaven. It should be paid, the price should be paid not when a person has gotten old, but when you can. When you have the strength, you can go, not go. You can do this, you cannot. This is expressed in the price. 
even in the Orthodox Church, I've noticed that when a person has lived in this world all of his life, and then at an older age of 58 uh, years of age, he wants to go to the monastery, he's told, well, where were you all of your life? For this life, you need to pay a price. And this is so. And there are no sales on this. And therefore, remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt has a fateful meaning. Recognizing this meaning will determine whether or not we realize our salvation or waste it. Looking at the first question, what is the remembrance of God's works, its properties, and its definition? We came to a conclusion that remembrance is a storage or well of information and impressions that we received from the physical and spiritual dimension from our genetic lineage of our forefathers and the events of the past and present. And according to scripture, the remembrance contained in a person defines the core of this person as well as his sovereign boundaries. The sovereign boundaries is the sovereign right. You have noticed that everything um, in relation to uh, the people that we are close with, with different kinds of people, everyone for some reason talks about their own rights. Even children talk about their own rights. But no one, for some reason, talks about their obligations. This is the category of people that does not have a file in their heart, a file of the information of God's memory. There is only information of their own rights, and they think that they need to, um, they are owed some kind of respect. That's why the minority tries to push on the majority. Therefore, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. Considering that a memory is information that is contained in the format of thoughts, it follows that by keeping on the tablets of our heart and when we proclaim before God the works made by him in the days of the old, we transform we are transformed into the image of our thinking for as he thinks in his heart so is he but here we also need to be very careful with this because I saw that devil is also a liar he comes and says this is your thought and then another arrow comes and if you were found in this pit and these arrows of the Midianites came forth towards you and I had caught myself, no, this is not my thought. It does not belong to me. I do not carry it. Devil, you are a liar. Therefore, what are the essence of my thoughts? This is indeed who I am. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Therefore, we are transformed into the information that is found in our heart where there are written the works of God fulfilled by him in the days of the old, and not those arrows which we, um, which are directed towards us. This is an excursion into ourselves. What kind of story is written in me? In order to see, do I live according to the word of God? Do, did I allow the world to be found in me, or I in the world? Or am I found in the works of God and have been united with them? Yes, we live in this world, but the but it must be so that the world does not live in us. For us to not present 
the world an opportunity to do so. For this we need to collaborate with the program of the works of God and not the program of the human intellect that is founded on human emissions of the mind. On our end, we are called to give God the right to interfere in our lives with His mercy, as it is written in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2 verse 7 when my soul fainted within me i remembered the lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple and we will remember that based on the power of our capabilities which god has given to us in the moment of our creation we cannot keep in our heart the remembrance of god's deeds fulfilled by him in the days of the old and to simultaneously look at the works of humans at once either one or the other. And by keeping in our heart a remembrance of God's works made by Him in the days of the old, by doing this, we blot out. The program is already working. God has already take, uh, cared for this. Pastor had said an interesting phrase before. You don't need to pray for this person. Let him be filled with the word of God and all of this will be fulfilled upon him. I thought, well, how is this going to be? And then I think, interesting. It turns out that. Take a look at what Pastor offers us. By keeping in our heart a remembrance of God's works done by him in the days of the old, we erase from our memory the deeds of people information that was passed down from the sinful life of our forefathers. People don't understand how is this possible and how can this be spoken correctly. Only this can change our fate and to erase of um, curse from our life. We can't sit on two chairs at once. Either we will just put our hands down and we'll be carried away by the program of the fallen cherubim or we are going to reform ourselves into the remembrance of God's works which we did not have until we stood at the door and opened when we heard the knock. When I heard this place of scripture again, I began to uh, listen, hear it differently. It is written, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. One knock. Whoever opens, this means that there are many. This means that this is my spirit, the spirit of a Christian person. The soul doesn't hear it. The flesh doesn't hear it. The spirit will hear. With this remembrance of the works of God, we have been met with it and we have turned our eyes to it. But if we focus our eyes on the works of man, then we blot out from our memory the works of God and we deprive ourselves of the right to eternal life and condemn ourselves to death in the lake of fire. Keeping in our hearts a remembrance of God's works done by Him in the days of the old is the decision role and responsibility of man. Therefore, when people say, this is God, where was God? Why, for some reason, God allowed this and this? This remembrance of man in itself is the weapon of man. And if we deprive his memory, he will look like a destroyed city. This is what David wrote about. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. Psalms 9, 6. A remembrance of God's works is passed down like the inheritance of Christ, from one righteous nation to another. 
Psalms 102, verse 12, But you, O Lord, shall endure forever in the remembrance of your name to all generations. A remembrance of God's works in the heart of man is God's holiness and the subject of His unfading glory. Psalms chapter 29, verse 5, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name, which has already been sealed in the heart of a person. According to many sayings in Scripture, all of God's miracles made by, made by Him in the days of the old are reminders because they reveal who God is for us and what He has done for us. Again, if they are engraved on the tablets of our heart as a revelation of who God is for us and what He has done for us. And this is not going to appear on our hearts on its own. It's going to appear based on our desire. Because we try not to remember those things that are not important to us. If you've noticed, something is important and we want to remember, we forget. But something so little, I remember and I can't get out of my head. Some kind of poems I learned in school. I remember them to this very day. If I remember to, uh, if I say, you must learn this and I read, again, I forget. Again, I begin to relearn and forget things that are little and insignificant, we remember. Why? This is not talking about events that we must not remember, but specific events which the man of God says. So, if I don't hear this, then the Word of God is not speaking with me, but if He is, then whatever is talked about, the fates of the heroes of faith and in certain decrees where it says write this down or do not forget make this a memorial for you this is specifically directed to me be remember if someone has saved you or if someone has helped you out of from a difficult position either material or you were in other circumstances how easily we remember this kind of goodness or what this person did for us well, what if we collaborate with God then our memory of God is going to define who God is for us and what He has done for us. In this manner, we begin to know God. He has made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalms 111.4 When looking at the third, second question, what purpose in the relationship between God and His redeemed child is remembrance of God's work in the days of the old, call to fulfill and sealed on the tablets of our heart we in a certain format have looked at three components that serve as a continual memorial before God and have stopped to study the fourth component this is the breastplate of judgment and so the fourth component of the purpose of the remembrance of God this is called to be the breastplate of judgment on the chest of the high priest this subject that was on the chest of the high priest, it differed from other objects that served as a memorial before God. It differed in its status, in its purpose. It served as a constant memorial before God. We should note that here the thought isn't that the Lord has remembered and that it could be forgotten, but that which according to its significance is a continual moral before God. When the place of worship in our heart coincides with the norms or requirements of Scripture that is expressed in the order of divine theocracy, then for entrance into the presence 
of the Lord, we need the element of a continual memorial before God. This is the breastplate of judgment, which we are called to carry continually at our heart for a continual memorial before God. This means that this is meant directly to the heart of a person. The material means, measurements, and makeup of the breastplate of judgment we can receive only one way, through edification in faith. But to build it and place it over our heart, this is our holy role and our responsibility before God, whether we agree with this price and with desire of God or not. The breastplate of judgment as a subject of a constant memorial before God is a format of a constant and continual prayer. Prayer that does not coincide with the conditions and characteristics of a breastplate of judgment does not have any right to be called a prayer. When I read this, then, then I begin to not even want to speak out loud in prayer. I, ex I take up those words that we hear continually, those places of scripture, and those words with which pastor pray prays, and um, I begin to pray with those, and then by name, those whom I can intercede for. But otherwise, I, I can't. This format of a constant prayer gives us the right to enter into the sanctuary, again, as kings and priests of God, who are called to represent the interests of God's judgment according to those commandments and statutes that are yielded by the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh in the twelve precious stones and the names of the twelve sons of Israel written on these stones. So in the twelve stones are going to be presented the twelve principles which we are going to study and in which we are going to be immersed and which each worshiper of God must have in their heart, which is called to con continually be placed place before God in a prayer state. Colossians 4.2 Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. We had questions and answer, and someone asked a question, what is a constant prayer? What does it mean? Like a monk, like constantly uh, have mercy, Lord, Father, Son, Jesus Christ. And they... Th and pastor, they thought this is a continual prayer, and pastor provided a definition that was so clear and simple for me. This is a state that is uninterrupted by sin. When I do not have sin, and whenever I, I look up and pray, I am found in a continual tie with my Heavenly Father. Continuity in prayer is tied to vigilance. Take a look, vigilance which is presented in the status and atmosphere of our burning lamp. And as we remember, the lamp is the spirit of a person, and the fact that it was burning, it's necessary to have vessels. To have vessels, they must be filled. And if we do not fill them, then it will be like with those virgins. Therefore, we must collaborate with the Word of God prepare the soul of our heart, we collaborate, and we behave as wise virgins. That which we do not understand, this is the food of God, and it is found on the golden table of showbreads. But that which we understand, that which, which burns in our lamp, it is that which will 
be explained. But when we hear it and when we say, I don't understand this, I don't see this, then it is never going to end up in the vessel of our heart. And so be vigilant, watch therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. The order of the makeup of the breastplate of judgment contains a sequence. What, when, and how we are supposed to do it so that we can answer to the conditions of God's worshipers whom God searches for himself. Notice what definition pastor has given us. The sequence in the makeup of this order. Any elementary thing that we gain there is instructions for it. So we've talked about instructions according to which this thing can be built. I purchased for my little boy's uh, Lego set some kind of car that's not very big, but the instructions are very thick. I looked at this and I said, you're going to read all of this? Well, no, there's there's pictures, um, Papa Sergei, there's pictures there. But having missed a certain page, then... It, the, the car is built incorrectly, and we have to return back, look at the instructions, and see who, what step we missed. There's a first step, second step, third step, and not on the contrary. This is like our small children. They come to the, run to the table, they see a candy or fruit. I said, first, you'll eat. There is the first thing you must eat, then the second, and then this last thing is going to be a dessert. Although it is an element of food, it should be at the end. And so we are looking at the conditions according to which we can define worshipers whom God searches for himself. How does God search? He who is the Lord's, come to me. As was the tribe of Levi established, who is the Lord's? And this is an answer to the call. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And note that at this time for all of Israel, there was a service of the temple that was conducted. There was to very turn every element, everything was carefully uh carefully set, uh, it did not represent true worship and spirit and truth that would satisfy God, which would satisfy Yahweh. How do we worship in spirit and truth? And pastor said to the church that it is contained in these 12 precious stones and these 12 principles which we are going to study and which we are going to be immersed in. Therefore, in order to worship the Father in spirit and truth, it is necessary to be a true worshiper according to the state of our heart, first and foremost, expressed in his motives in which a man speaks truth in his heart. The motive, which in practice means to not damage the truth in the pursuit of goals that are set by God in Scripture that many did before and many continue to do due to their ignorance or their hypocrisy or their jealousy. I think the last is the biggest. It is written that they crucified him due to their envy. And so to always be vigilant in prayer and in this manner, 
Answer to the conditions of the state of a true worshiper, we begin to study the order and makeup of the breastplate of judgment and that sequence in which it is presented in Scripture. And so, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod you shall make it out of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen, and you shall make it. You shall be, it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length a span shall be its width. Exodus chapter 28, verses 15 through 16. We have already noted the word breastplate in Hebrew is comprised of two words. In the Septuagint, it is called the sign of justice. This is the translation of 70 different interpreters, and we must remember that any kind of translation is simultaneously an interpretation. That's why we often hear certain verses certain words we are going to be instructed in the truth and we are going to hear that point that the Holy Spirit wanted to show in this particular place of scripture and so the image of the breastplate of judgment finds its expression in the conscience of a person that is cleansed of dead works on the tablets of which as on As a seal is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And so a conscience that is cleansed from dead works with a seal on the tablets of truth and rightness will yield the nature of true worshipers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet earth. And the Heavenly Father searches for these worshipers for himself. John chapter 4 verses 23 through 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Ignorance in the knowledge of truth expressed in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh will not allow man to worship in the flesh in his conscience that has not been cleansed from dead works and lacks truth. And we know that ignorance is a lack of desire to know this, and this is direct resistance. And therefore, to worship in the flesh in his conscience that has not been cleansed from dead works and lacks truth in the subject of a breastplate of judgment that defines his right to enter into the presence of God to represent his perfect will. And as far as we know, the sacred ephod top is a woven product with an opening for the head. Therefore, the breastplate of judgment is a whole woven product doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. A span is the the location, or rather the dimension, between the thumb and the index finger. So a span was 18 by 18. It was made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. So it was a, a double and the image of a woman product that doubled into a square with a span as its length and width. This is an image of our heart sanctuary made up of two parts, holy and holy of holies. Furthermore, we noted that the Hebrew meanings on the breastplate of judgment in the image of the twelve precious stones were contained in these names of the Lord. 
The precious stones themselves, they had represented the name of God and the virtue of man. And they, as precious stones, they build a, help us build a spiritual dwelling. Jesus Christ himself was a precious stone. Let's turn to these stones that were on the breastplate of judgment, and there, these are their meanings. Sardonyx, this is the name of God, Melech, and it means the king. Topaz is Gamal, the manager of rewards and punishments. Emerald is Adar, or fire shining. Carbuncle is Eloah, or esteem. Sapphire is Ein, or eye of the sun. Diamond, or jasper, this is El Hai, meaning living God. Yahant is Elohim, God Almighty Force. Agate is El, the Most High. Amethyst, this is Yahu, life-giving Trinity. Peridot, Ashhabe, the greatness of fire. Onyx, Adoni, Adonis, or Master. Beryl, Yahweh. And what's interesting is Mujajana, uh, which means husband and wife together. In previous sermons, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we in a certain format have already studied the measurements and materials from which the breastplate of judgment was to be built. And so the next condition in the makeup of the breastplate of judgment on the tablets of our heart says, And you shall put, and this is going to be Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 to 21, You shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones, the first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This is the first row. The second row shall be a carbuncle, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row adjacent, and a gate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. It shall be according to the twelve tribes. The precious stones must be placed in gold settings. Therefore, it will be necessary just with the shoulders to prepare and interweave twelve gold settings in the breastplate of judgment in four rows by three. Thus, the twelve golden settings interweaved in the breastplate of judgment prepared for the twelve precious stones that coincided with the measurement of the twelve gold settings is an image of the judgment of God in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, written on the tablets of our heart, which we, as worshippers of God, are called to represent in our continual prayer. John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be blind. Paradox. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. And the twelve precious stones with engravings of markings like if you see here engravings of markings this means that if you take a precious stone you turn it this was not carved the whole precious stone is called like a jeweler it's called a material out of all of that which was not the name so the name was like a seal if you remember the seals that we had met back in our former life 
these precious stones were turned to the heart heart of the of the high priest what was written on it was called to be in the heart these are the names of the sons of Israel as an image of our prayer that represents the perfect judgments of God and God's role in the revelation of his judgments in our pure heart gives us the opportunity to accept these revelations and write them on the tablets of our heart whereas our role in the cooperation with the written judgments on the tablets of our heart is expressed in that we should proclaim these judgments in God's appointed times and on either the vessels of wrath or the vessels of mercy. In practice, this is called to occur through the proclamation of our tongue with the, f- the faith of the heart that is written on the tablets of our heart. Because our faith is defined by obedience to the faith of God that is written on the tablets of our heart. The location of the, bre- of the precious stones on the breastplate of judgment in rows of four by three are well looked at in the twelve foundational walls of the New Jerusalem as well as the location of the twelve gates, three on the four sides of the wall of New Jerusalem. But on the breastplate of judgment, on the twelve precious stones, the name of the twelve sons of Israel are engraved in a different order than the twelve gates of the New Jerusalem. And so, the breastplate of judgment and the twelve precious stones, they carry in themselves a different meaning and contents. Despite the foundations of the walls and the twelve gates of the New Jerusalem, which have been made from one whole stone, we should note that the twelve sons of Jacob had nothing in relation to the law of Moses and could not have anything in relation because the law came after when they had already moved on to eternity. However, before we begin to look at the contents that are found in the 12 precious stones and the 12 names as engravings and markings on the inner side of the breastplate of judgment, we must examine two more questions. First, what kind of content was contained in the rings of gold, the chains of gold, and the blue cord which attached the breastplate of judgment or the continual prayer to the ephod? And second, what was contained in Urim and Thummim, which was a part of the breastplate of judgment, as a subject of a continual prayer. And thanks to the presence of Urim and Thummim, the breastplate of judgment was called a, a breastplate of judgment, and it was created for these two subjects, Urim and Thummim, so that through them a person could speak with God. This was for communication with God. Man would ask God questions and God would answer through them. Let's read Exodus chapter 28 verses 22 through 20. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. You shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings, and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate, on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps, underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. 
it shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings and rings of the ephod using a blue cord for it to not fly off or to not be lifted upon the movement of the high priest. And Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel. Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Exodus chapter 8, 28, verses 22 through 30. And so the breastplate of judgment as a subject of a continual prayer before God is called to implement continual contact with God. And it was attached to the ephod with which through gold rings that were attached to both sides of the breastplate of judgment was attached to the gold chains and blue cord that were attached to the shoulders and waist of the ephod. And from these words, it follows that the four gold rings were attached to four sides of the breastplate of judgment and two rings were attached to the waist of the ephod. The number six is the number of men or the number that yields men. And so, the six gold rings is an image of God's eternal love that chooses and is locked up in man who is a subject of his redemption, which was yielded on the tablets of the heart of man in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And you know, Brother Arkady had provided uh, the definition of a ring, a symbol of eternal love. Whoever has been present at a marital ceremony of our, that our pastor has led and we heard the meaning of a ring and in certain churches rings were not worn they thought that these were elements of this world but word of god says for i am zealous for you for i have betrothed you to one man to present to christ a pure virgin to betroth to betroth with the ring or a, a ring of betrothment here we see the symbol and image of God's eternal love that is locked up in man who is the subject of his redemption, of eternal love. A ring has no beginning and no end. Because it was a subject of his redemption, he had paid a price for giving the life of his son, and it is yielded on the tablets of the heart of man and the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Now the two twisted golden chains, they are two chains that were intertwined with one another, which weighed them twice as strong. The two twisted gold chains that attached the breastplate of judgment to the shoulders of the ephod were two double golden chains whose doubled strength surpassed a regular gold chain, because of which it was a level of God's power it showed a level of God's power expressed in the power of the New Testament and the power of the Holy Spirit doubled compared to the level of the power in the Old Testament. And Pastor provided us an example from Scripture when Elijah, he had, we was about to be raptured, he said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you? And Elisha said, The power that is on you, let it be upon me double. This is what he wanted. Because his breastplate of judgment did not be act toward the Old Testament, it was a part of the image of the New Testament. And these two gold chains were two 
uh, double strength. He asked for strength doubled. And so the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out on saints in the New Testament double for the very reason that the period of the New Testament all of the saints were firstborn in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, according to the law of Moses, the firstborn received a double blessing in relation to their other brothers that were born after them. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what may I do for you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, so it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Second Kings chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10. And if you will see, this means they had to see something. Pay attention that Elijah was taken, not because he fulfilled the law of Moses. Well, then why was Elijah taken? Elisha had to see why Elijah was taken, not the moment itself that Elijah was taken, but the reason why Elijah was taken, on what basis he was taken. Elisha had to understand the reason why Elijah was going to be raptured. We must remember that when Elijah, according to the word of God, found Elisha, he, at this time, he was yelling, and it's written that Elijah threw his tunic at him and Elisha ran after it. This is what the word of God says. And Enoch and Elijah were not raptured on the basis of their fulfillment of the law of Moses, but on the basis of the law of grace, which was present in the law of Moses as an image, as a standard. But we together are firstborn, and we are firstborn only when we are found in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is a firstborn. In this definition, as strength doubled, this means being found in Christ Jesus so that we may receive from Christ that which God is going to give to Him. This, Jesus said to His disciples, Behold, this is what I have spoken to while I was still with you, that all that was written about me in the laws and the prophets and psalms is called to be fulfilled. This is not just written about Him, but of us, for we are in Him. For we are called to be found in Christ Jesus. So all that is spoken in relation to Christ can be fulfilled to those that are found in Him. And then we are going to be the firstborn to God and the Lamb. These are what these golden chains represented. They represented the double strength that was founded on the power of the Holy Spirit and on the power of the New Testament. And now we will turn to the cord of blue. The cord of blue that's attached to the breastplate of judgment to the waist of the ephod. Notice it was blue. And blue is an image of the glory of God expressed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which witnessed of the result of his death. And we remember that a sheared wool is that which was living before, that which was sheared from the sheep. While it was on the sheep, it was living. This meant uh, carnal life and works of the flesh. But when it was sheared, this wool had gained a completely different meaning. Sheared wool does not demonstrate works of the flesh. It demonstrates the result of the death of the Lord Jesus. And the fruit of our lips that represent our firstborn, shear jeshub, and its present, yields our justification in, in our proclamation of who God is for us, what God has done for us, who we are to God in Christ Jesus. We are called to have 
this fuller's field or this field where uh, wool is bleached and when we consider ourselves dead to sin alive to God calling reigning sin as as uh, as dead but we even more place ourselves into a living sacrifice for we are called to understand and give birth to the promise that expressed in the ability to offer the fruit of righteousness and the dignity of Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And through this fruit of righteousness, we are able to take hold of the promise that lays at the door of our hope, or rather, to cast out death from our body. So all that was done according to the flesh, and this includes our tie to our nation, to our household, to our sinful carnal life, all of this has already died. And here we see that it is sheared. It is sheared. What's interesting is that a sheep itself, all of her life, serves man. It's a pure animal. There is milk that comes from it. There is butter that comes from it. Sour cream. Other things. Unlike a pig who is only pierced, and then when she is pierced, she says, Have mercy. And then she can call out. But otherwise, she can't. And we're looking at the breastplate of judgment. We see that sheared wool is clothed in the blue color and a symbol of the glory of God. And resurrection itself is the result of the fact that the old man has died. Therefore, death and only then resurrection. When Isaiah had concluded with his prophetic word after his the birth of his second son, in the eighth chapter, Isaiah chapter eight verse seventeen, bind this testimony and write this revelation before my disciples. So today's the the word of the Lord has fulfilled, in the fact that it is unsealed by the man of God for us, and this word has begun to be understood, to has been understood by his disciples and the rest have passed by. The shearing of the sheep is a ceremony for man, but not the one who, not the sheep that is sheared. When David had come, the husband of Abigail, this was a shadow of the fact that today there is our shearing and our works of the flesh are sheared. And this is a feast for the Lord. And for us, that first, this is not a celebration or a feast. That which was comfortable for us in the old man, which warmed us, and we were kept warm by this. Oftentimes when there is shearing, we might be nicked. But it is a good thing to us, a good thing to us when we are corrected. One brother, one brother always told me, I have been bombed again today, we've been bombed again today, or a tank ran over us. A person has not separated himself by the, by the works of the flesh, and if he looks at correction in this manner, when we receive, willingly receive correction, when we say that this is oil for our head, this is a completely different relation in relation to, relation to one and the same word. And if we were bombed and there was a tank that was brought over us, then uh, this is not the correct reaction. Our reaction will highlight 
our behavior toward the Word of God, His Messenger. Remember, walk prudently how you listen, or rather, observe who you listen to how you listen, because we all listen from different levels of attention. Upon each, each person has their own senses. Each person has their own personal opinion. But the most important is, if I ignore this person whom God has sent, who has passed him along to my life, then I am ignoring the one whom God has sent. We must remember that the breastplate of judgment was, there was woven threads, linen threads, but this was wool thread mostly that defined that we have died to our nation, to our household, and to our carnal life. Therefore, the cord of blue that was attached to the breastplate of judgment to the waist of the ephod was an image of the glory of God. Urim and Thummim, a few more minutes here. Urim and Thummim were not a part of the breastplate, but an individual and ritual accessory that nested inside the breastplate of judgment, like in a pocket, and it made it a breastplate of judgment because judgment always came through the breastplate, or rather through Urim and Thummim. Urim means, I was interested by our brothers in Israel, Urim also today sounds like the same way, Urim. There is no other transcription or translation. It means luminaries, light, lightning, lights, dawn, sunrise, sunset, inspiration, phenomenon. Thummim in Hebrew means, one, abundance, riches, blamelessness, simplicity, and truth. And the authoritative Jewish rabbis of that time translated these two words as light and right or revelation and truth. In our case, a worshiper can be only a person who has a wise heart, who is born from the seed of the word of truth, and on the tablets of his heart, truth is sealed. A question is then, what for us is thumim? Thumim is truth the truth in the heart. What's important is that a person is born from this truth. This is what Dumim is. What is Urim for us? This is the revelation of God that is given to a person in whose heart there is already the truth. And we must remember that only a wise heart can have hold wisdom. And God places wisdom only in a heart that is cleansed of dead works. And only this kind of a heart has the opportunity to hear the voice of God in the lips of His messenger and to not just to agree, but to also understand these revelations. And so the revelations of God can dwell only in the boundaries of truth expressed in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. They have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31, 6. I have noted a very important action. If I pass along the exact words of Pastor Arkady that have no need of my own transcription with which he concluded this service, I will remind you that this service was in February in 2017. All that we have heard about today and seen with our spiritual eyes, at one point they were specific images, and there is no exact... Uh, opinion uh, what they were made out of this is today but we look at David David was a high priest he carried this breastplate with him and when David needed to ask God of something he said bring to me the ephod he put all of this on himself and only then he asked God which is very significant that outside of the temple 
he had been clothed in the garments of a priest and spoke with God, and God spoke and answered him through the Urim and Tumim. In history, there was no other king who would have the right to an ephod, and the high priest himself, clothed in the ephod, was clothed only once a year to enter into the Holy of Holies, which was to take the sin off of all of Israel. All right, this was before. But today, what do we need? We need, or rather it is necessary for us to have this ephod, this urim, this thumim, this breastplate, but already in Christ Jesus. To be in Him, for Christ is the high priest, and we are the holy priesthood. We are a holy people who have been taken into His portion. And a holy priesthood is the one who reigns. And the Word of God presents us the opportunity for each of us to be these kind of priests in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we can't just be an ordinary priest because he is we are, he is a royal priest and we worship in him to God and the Holy Spirit as a worshiper always worships with us when we worship. He with us does not worship. He waits. Just like Christ, he had waited for the word from the Father in order to immediately fulfill it. And today the Holy Spirit waits, waits for when we will worship in order to fulfill that which the Heavenly Father has spoken of. Christ had asked it of the Father, and the Father sent Him into our hearts. The Holy Spirit has not yet fulfilled this, and this is to clothe us into the resurrection. In order to clothe us in His resurrection, it is necessary for us to become the true worshipers, and this kind of worshiper must have the twelve signs that are contained in the twelve names of the sons of Jacob, and we are called to prepare our heart. Otherwise, nothing we will be able we will be understand nothing. We will think that we are royal priesthood, whereas in fact we are not going to be so. We are given the right. An heir, and uh, as a child, does not differ from a slave. We are heirs, but we grow, and we must finally distinguish, be distinguished from a servant, so that we can finally t- take and hold on to this right. We must study what worship is. We must give our prayers up to a different sacrifice for this prayer to mean the most pleasant state that we can be found in. Today, many Christians, they run away from prayer, avoid it. They pray two or three minutes along with everyone. They don't understand prayer to the very end, and it doesn't bring any results to them. Because any kind of commandment, any promise, we are able to understand through the knowledge of and through instruction and faith, we are able to understand And so the goal of the Holy Spirit in us as worshipers, He waits for when we are going to worship so that He can finally fulfill this. Jesus took upon our illnesses upon Him, but they are still on us. But we think, praise God, that we remember to begin to proclaim the inexistent as existent. And we thank Him that our illnesses and our troubles are found in Christ and that He has already answered to us. Only a worshiper is able to write out a check so that it can be, so He can take off from His account the resurrection of Christ. Somehow God has promised that in the end times He will make the church in such a way that kings have not heard of it before. No one had told them about this. Before, He... Presidents, kings, whoever they may be, architectures of authority, they're going to be astonished by the church of the bride. Not just this Protestant division or Catholic division, all of these are sectors because the church is found everywhere, little by little, there and there. This is referring to the bride. They're going to be astonished by these people. Something's going to happen with them. With you, something is going to happen. You were going to be given such a wisdom and such a royal dignity that you're going to not going to act as you are now. 
every virus of death is going to run away from you. It's not just going to die on you, but in your surroundings, where your shadow will fall, all viruses and illnesses will be destroyed. There is going to be such strong epidemics that today's medicine will not be able to deal with. People are going to die by millions, and this is what Revelation speaks of. And at this time, you are going to shine as a sun and God says, I will show the difference between those who served me, those who hallowed me with tithes, and those who mocked you. This is written in Malachi. I will show the difference between those and those. Therefore, it is very important to know what is a worshiper, what properties he has, what he has to do in order to have these properties, and how to understand them in order to begin to worship. And we are called to be a living sacrifice. And when it is said, it is presented to in Scripture how to present yourself as a living sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit has uncovered this for us today. And we will handle it with seriousness. And right now we are going to pray and thank God that we have come to these revelations. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you with your holy nation, the name of Jesus Christ. We come to you through our Savior, Lord Jesus, in gratitude that we today were able to be in your home, in the holy place that your hand has outlined. We thank you for that word that we hear, that word that we can be clothed in, that word with which we can be cleansed by. We thank you for the calling to be clothed in warriors of prayer. We thank you for the opportunity to submit ourselves to this word, which has become not a slogan, and to trust you and to not rely on the capabilities of our own intellect. We thank you, Lord, that you have freed us from the vain life of our fathers, from these firstborn of Egypt, from the law of sin and death, you have redeemed us and led us into the new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this instruction and faith that we have. We thank you that we are immersed into those words that give us the worthy partaking of Pesach. We thank you for the remembrance of God's works which we keep in our hearts, for the breastplate of judgment which we are called to prepare and to carry in our heart in order to have a continual memorial before God. We thank you, Lord, for the collaboration of Urim and Thumim in our heart, for this union of two formats of wisdom. We thank you for the opportunity to worthy partake in the supper of the Passover lamb. We thank you that we are able to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, to hold on to our proclamations, for faithful is the one who has promised. Our lives will be transformed to the end, and we thank you that your word has become a light upon our path, and we hate the words of man, but your law we love. We bow down before your almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory in unblemished joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.